And we're back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Today on the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast, we have a very special guest. This man is a former WWE United States champion, a two-time TNA World Heavyweight Champion. He's a member of one of my personal favorite factions of all time. He is also the owner and teacher at the Academy Wrestling School. He is none other than Mr. Uh, well, save that for later. Mr. Ken Anderson, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, man. That's me. Thank you, man. So, so hey, want to leave off these questions, Matt? Yeah. Um, this this one's gonna be really simple. Um, who or what made you fall in love with pro wrestling? Really simple answer, Steve Austin. Um, yeah, I remember. I I was sort of a wrestling fan back in the eighties when they would have uh, like Saturday night's men events every once in a while, my dad would let me watch it, but I just, you know, there was a certain age where watching cartoons wasn't cool anymore. And at least in my school, watching wrestling wasn't cool anymore. And uh, I just sort of fell into that. I, I fell off and I didn't get back on until like 97 when Austin was just starting to become really, really hot. I was at a friend's house and and the thing is, is like, I always kind of gave him a hard time about being a wrestling fan. You know, he would talk about it all the time and I knew that he was a big fan. And one night it was just the two of us at his house and he was like, we're watching raw tonight. No questions asked. And I watched begrudgingly and I saw this bald son of a bitch drive to the ring in a pickup truck with a six pack of beer on his lap and just his whole demeanor, the way that he carried himself, like, get the hell out of my way to the camera guy. And uh, I was like, uh, okay, all right, that guy's cool. But everything else still sucks. You know, it's fake wrestling. And then every week I started watching just to see what he would do. And then, well, Undertaker's kind of cool too. And then, you know, it just got – I slowly but surely got sucked into – being a fan of everything. And then once I became a fan, I was like hooked. I remember going to work. That's all we would talk about for hours and hours. You know, we'd call each other because we, I worked at a nuclear power plant and as a security guard, and we had these different stations and I would, we'd just call and talk about what happened on raw. So yeah, Austin. Okay. So when you got into the business, Mr. Anderson, um, what was the biggest misconception of the business when uh, you had? Um, well, I think, I think people who are interested in getting into the business, like it's not real, right? We're working together. It's fake, so to speak. I get that. When people say that, it doesn't offend me. I, I understand it. I mean, it is like, um, we're telling stories of good versus evil. Um, but you still have to, you still have to put in a lot of work. It's still very competitive and it's very real in the sense that like you still have to be an athlete to a degree, you know, if, if nothing else, you're portraying an athlete, right? So you have to be able to, you know, do things. And, and I would, I would say this, you don't necessarily have to be a body guy anymore to be in this or, or ever really, you don't have to be somebody that looks like ultimate warrior to be successful in this business, but you do have to be in shape. Kevin Owens 
Samoa Joe, they're not like they don't have abs and six packs, but they can get in the ring and go for an hour. I, every night they could do an hour, and they'd be fine. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a big. Um, if if I I I will uh, I will say um looking looking at um a lot of a lot of uh a lot of the guys that came out of uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling like around around early two thousand specifically two thousand two you've got like you you've come come out alongside people such as like John Cena Randy Orton Shelton Benjamin Brock Lesnar like. Who are like who are like some of your who are like some of uh your who are some of those uh some of those people that you um uh I'm sorry sorry words aren't coming through to me it's like who are some of your like favorite favorite uh wrestlers who have come out of that time time period to work with um you know Bobby Lashley comes to mind <laughs> when I first got to OVW I reported on a Tuesday. Or, or I actually moved down on a Tuesday. I called Dreamer and I said, "Hey, I'm in. I'm in Louisville. Can I stop by at some point?" And he thought like I was just there searching for an apartment. I was like, "No, I'm. I'm moved in. I'm." Re-. And he goes, "Oh, well, then you can start tomorrow. Go to TV and, and introduce yourself." He goes, "Go knock on the back door. Somebody will let you in and just say you're you're here." And uh, I I went. I knocked on the door, and I was in. I was pretty jacked at the time. Like I was, uh, you know, not like I am now, but I was like, <laughs> I was, I was in a pretty good shape. And, uh, I remember I knocked on that door and fucking Bobby Lashley opened the door. And I just remember thinking, God, I'm in trouble. Like I'm not going to make it because <laughs> he just, you know, Bobby doesn't look real. Um, Bobby, a boogeyman, um, you know, there was a guy, Paul Burchill, um, who I, I think was, you know, really awesome. Um, yeah, there were so many people that were uh, um, the tag team, uh, John Johnny Nitro, Eminem, right? Yeah. J- Joey Mercury, Johnny Nitro, like those guys were awesome. It just felt like everybody there had the potential to go up to the active roster. And when Paul Heyman and, and, and like, to be fair, people were like trickling up, you know, every once in a while. But when Paul Heyman got there, it was week after week after week. It was just constantly churning out new, new talent. And he was coming up with ideas for people. Uh, it was really cool. Really cool time. <clears throat> so uh, you mentioned Paul Heyman. You are considered the first or one of the first Paul Heyman guys. Um, what is in your? Do you have any interesting Paul Heyman stories, like, like um, funny or just stories that are would be something that you want to share? Yeah, I, I just Paul changed my life entirely. I was at OVW for five months or so, and I was working hard, but I really wasn't finding my groove. Um, and I, I, this is not a slight against Jim Cornette, but like 
Jim just didn't see in me the same things that Paul Heyman apparently saw in me. You know, he was just like, he's a guy, he's got a good look, but where, where do we go with this? What do we do with it? And so I was just sort of every week or it wouldn't even be every, every single week. It would be like, you know, every other week I would get a match on TV and it would just be against a random opponent, no storyline or anything like that. And when he left, when he got fired and uh, Paul Heyman came in, Paul pulled me aside. He, he said, I want to talk to you in the office. And he said, you're the next guy out of here. And uh, I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, he's like, I've been a fan of yours since I first met you. He goes, I've, I've liked your, just your demeanor, your look. I think your work is great. Your promos are great. He said, I'm going to do so much stuff with you over the course of the next few weeks that they will notice you. They will you will get called up. And uh, to be honest, at the time, I, even today when somebody tells me something like that or anything similar, like we're going to do this, um, I take it with a grain of salt because a lot of people promise you the, the moon and offer nothing in return. They have visions of grandeur sometimes, but no way to like follow through with it. And that night that it was the first TV taping that he was a part of that he had the pencil for. He wrote, I was in a promo to start the show off with Mickey James. Um, there was another promo a little later and I ended up having a 30 minute segment on an hour long show with Brent Albright. And uh, I think that was when he, he said, I want you to go out there, cut the ring announcer off, dress him down and then do your own intro. And that's when I, I did that. I said my last name for the first time. And when I came back to the curtain, people were like, I just had a 30-minute match with Brent Albright. And they were like, dude, when you said your last name twice, man, that was fucking awesome. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I swear on here? Well, yeah. you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. Okay. You're good. You're good. So, you know, and it was like he, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And every week I was getting tons of TV time and he was – really creative and five weeks after we had that conversation tommy dreamer called and said hey they want you to come up to raw this or smackdown this week they want to uh see your whole gimmick they want you to do your your intro stuff and and then the rest is history like the chat's blowing up with lots of questions and one of the questions i asked uh, was on my sheet so I know we're jumping all over the place. Can you share with us your thoughts on what it meant to you regarding you being Eddie Guerrero's last opponent? Um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a weird question. It's always been sort of hard for me to, to answer. Cause like, like it sucks. Eddie's dead. It's, it, it kind of sucks that I was the person, last person to wrestle, but like in a way it's cool that, I was the last person to, to wrestle this guy, you know. Um, I was just fortunate enough to to spend some time in a locker room with him. I rode with him for a little bit, was able to pick his brain. Um, I wrestled him, obviously, got some great pointers and feedback. And I just uh, – what a great guy. It sucks that he's gone. But, to, you know, I'm honored that I was the last guy to wrestle him. Sorry about that. I'd rather he was still here, though, you know? Absolutely. 
Um, so I think I think there there was one that um I that I had that I had that somebody mentioned in chat. Um, what one ma- one match I think I I've actually I actually remember watching uh, quite well, even though it it may not seem like one was um your match um again with MVP going up against uh, the Brothers of Destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I just want I just want to ask like what 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 was it, what was it like there get getting to work with uh MVP as you know who's still a manager right now going up going up against the Brothers of Destruction two great Hall of Famers right there. It was crazy and um honestly uh, you know once you become once you get into the WWE you don't stop becoming a wrestling fan. You don't stop you know being a wrestling fan. So I remember the first time I was in the ring on a on a house show and I was getting to wrestle The Undertaker. And I remember the lights went out and I heard that gong for the first time and I'm standing in the ring waiting for him to come to the ring and we're going to wrestle each other. And I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? So it's still, <laughs> you know, it's like just this unlikely scenario. This is a guy that I've been watching on TV for years. This is The Undertaker. How the, How is this happening? And... I absolutely love MVP is one of my favorite people in the world. I still talk to him to this day on a pretty consistent basis. Um, and just being able to like work off of each other. We, we had that like sort of reluctant. We were, we didn't like each other. Our characters didn't like each other, but we had to be a tag team because um, ter- Teddy long kept putting us in these scenarios and uh we just had so much fun, and it, it, we were married. MVP and I were pr- practically married to Undertaker and Kane for like at least like six months to a year. We would do <laughs> all the house shows, um, you know. After after Raw or after SmackDown, oftentimes they'll have what they call like a main event dark match. So it's a, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but like it's a just a match that just goes out to the house. And oftentimes it's just to send people home happy. You know, you just want right. to give them some stuff that they want to see that makes them say yay and go home with a with a smile on their face, especially if the show ended on a negative note. And I remember like MVP and I used to, so, you know, one of them would do, they would do the stereo choke slam tombstone. Well, the choke slam is, I, w- I don't want to say hard to take, but like it hurts way more than the tombstone. The tombstone's just like you just go for a ride. You're upside down. He he takes care of you, but the choke slam you got to jump. You take this big bump. So MVP and I used to rock paper scissors every night to see. <laughs> all right, who's taking the choke slam and who's taking the the tombstone? Nice. <laughs> and then what a crazy thing too that I remember. And I again uh, as I'm sitting here today out of the company, right? Uh, been out of the company for since 2009. I remember almost being like, cause being on the road is exhausting. You would have three days of house shows, TV day. It's from noon until like 10 o'clock at night. It's nerve wracking. You never know, you know, everything's getting changed. You're getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. Hey, come take pictures here. Hey, I need you to you know, uh, you've got a promo segment, you've got a match segment, and then they would come up and say, like, oh, you got a promo segment, a match segment, you got to take pictures, 
and you and MVP are going to work Undertaker and Kane in the main event dark match and just being like, fuck, <laughs> you know, oh, exhausting. Well, I like, it's just so weird that I had that mentality ever because when I was, when I was working dark matches, when I was trying to get into the WWE, I would hear some of the guys, usually like some of the lower card guys who weren't getting enough TV time or weren't getting much TV time, they would be complaining. They would, there would be some complainers, you know, oh, complaining about this and that. And I remember thinking like, I remember people complaining that they only had five, a five-minute match. And I was like, fucking, I'll take it. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get as much time but, as you get. Yeah, it's five minutes is more time than anybody else is getting right now. Like right. that that real estate is precious. So but I remember you know how, how easily we sort of slide into that where this job that I have that is amazing that millions of people watch and uh, you know dream of becoming, it just becomes another job at some point. So, uh, the next one is something that I'm sure you talk about quite frequently. It's, I just wanted to hear you, hear you talk, tell the story again. Uh, the Undertaker first blood match, probably one of my favorite of yours in WWE. It, it, the story you told was amazing. I just want to. Which one? What was the, the, the. Well, no, like that match at Survivor Series. I, I feel you guys told an amazing story in that. Oh, 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 gotcha. Um, take us through like that match in in the in and of itself. Like, take us through that match. I guess. Well, I mean, going rewinding a little bit, I had had a match with Batista at the Great American Bash, and uh, you know, it was originally supposed to be Batista and Mark Henry, and Mark Henry hurt himself needed surgery, and they slid me into that position. And I remember, like, not being sure how, you know, is this just going to be kind of a squash match? Is, what is this going to be? Like, you know, I hadn't wrestled on that level. I, I, I had wrestled and defeated a bunch of, uh, you know, former world champions, but – I just didn't know, is this going to be a, a long-term thing or is this a one-and-done? And when I got to the building, um, I remember Arn Anderson telling me, like, this is a competitive match. Like, it's going to be, like, 50-50. Like, you know, it's not um, – and and so we put that match together. Uh, if anybody goes back and watches I think it was Great American Bash 2007. I got busted open hard way early very early, like within the first minute, we roll out of the ring. He runs my head into the steps, and I just split my forehead open on the edge of those steps. Started bleeding, right? And then at the end of the match, he runs me. He he like loses his cool, and uh, he doesn't let go of the five. He gets he gets counted out because uh, he doesn't let me go after the five count, right in the corner. So he gets disqualified, and then he just loses his shit beats the fuck out of me some more and he went uh and he ran me into the to the post and when he ran me it was like we they were both a little excited and he gave me i was already going and he gave me a little extra and i wasn't able to like dip out of the way 
and I hit that post like I if you watch it back, it, it almost you can almost see the ring move. Um and I just started pouring blood, right? And um we we get to the back and it, it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um and the fact that I had just like worked through that and that I, you know, I walked back, I'm covered from head to toe in blood and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm cool. What? What? Do I got something on my face? Like, um, that was <laughs> in Vince's in mind. He was like, yes, all right. You're, you know, you're tough. <laughs> so then, uh, like a week later, I remember I was on a house show and Taker came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I just want you to know that I liked, I liked what I saw with Batista. Um, and I think you and I could could do some good business. And uh, I'm gonna ask the boss if if we can work together. And uh, I, I was like blown away that he told me that. Um, but again, believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. So I just didn't try to. I tried not to get too excited about it. And then uh, and then a week later, he came up and he was like, "Did you did you hear what we're doing?" And I said, no. And he goes, well, we're going to start a program next week. Um, I think I was the United States champion at the time. And they were like, you know, we got to get the title off of you because they felt like, you know, Taker was above the United States championship. I didn't need to have that title at that time. So um, and then we're going to go into a program and we're going to get at least two pay-per-views out of it, possibly three. And uh, yeah, so that I the first blood match, was that the second match we had? The yeah, second pay-per-view. So it's the second pay-per-view match we had? Because we had we just had one that was just a normal normal match, I think. And then we had the, the first yeah, blood match. That was second. We had the first blood match and then we had the uh the last ride, you know, the casket or the, the hearse match or whatever, right? Right. right. Um this is kind of a funny story. So he obviously like I Taker was just so cool and so giving to me. Uh, pulled me like literally like, come on, man. I, I always, it was always crazy to me that, you know, at least on SmackDown at the time, it was like all these people at the top of the mountain who would be throwing rope ladders over the side and offering their hands like, come on, we can all fit up here. The, the weather is fine. The air is fine up here. You know, very helpful. And uh, remember, we were in the middle of the match, and we had some stuff planned out. But a lot of every time I worked with Taker, we just called a lot of stuff on the flyer. And um, we were out there, and he was like down on the mat, and he goes, "Give me a pile driver." And I, I'm like, "Okay." And I pulled him in, and I thought like he's gonna backdrop me out of this. He's not gonna have him pile drive him. But like we hadn't talked about it, nothing. And I pull him in there, and I'm sort of like waiting for him to backdrop me out of it. And he goes, give it to me. And I went, oh, okay. And I fucking picked him up and made sure it was nice and tight. And boom. Well, we get to the back, and uh, I walk through the curtain, and Vince goes, just come here. <laughs> and I went over, and he said, uh, look, he goes, I know that wasn't your call. I, I think uh, oftentimes he's too too giving. 
he really wants to like put you over, but I, I don't think that was necessary. And uh, he's like, I don't ever want to see that again. He goes, there's only two people that I allow to do a, a pile driver on this show and you're not one of them. But he was like, he wasn't mad at me. He knew, he knew that it was takers call in the first place. So just kind of funny. Crazy. Um, I know we've talked about your Matt mentioned that you um, run your own training school, the Academy. So can you talk to us a little bit about the Academy? I, I watch it on Instagram all the time. You go live, I think once a week um, on yep. Instagram. Dude, you're in shape. I got to tell you that. Uh, the way you move in that ring with those guys at your training. So can you tell us a little bit about your training camp and how that's going? And Yeah. Um, I, I, never, I never thought that I would get as much enjoyment out of helping these people. Um, and I, I just try to I, – I try to understand that, like, everybody learns at a different pace. And I try to be accommodating as, as accommodating as possible and just – learning, teaching them the basics and giving them a solid foundation. Because like, I think once you have the, the, this is cliche, right? Everybody says it, but like when you have that solid foundation of certain patterns of movement, then everything else maps onto those. Um, so if you get the, the easy stuff down pat, it's, then that's when you can start like expanding and branching off and, and doing different moves. Um, so I just, we got a new class starting uh, Monday and we usually run a class. We'll run a class for three months. So right now, uh, tuition covers one year of training at the Academy. We run a new cycle every three months. So I'll have somebody come in. We'll go through all the basics. We'll learn everything. And then, uh, they'll usually go on to the advanced class. And then, or recycle, and actually, actually, those people then sort of help out with the next cycle of people that come in. Because I feel like they say that you don't truly know how to do something; you're not good at it until you can show others how to do it. And I feel like just helping out the, the you know that next cycle um, really helps them in the long run. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just we train four nights a week right now. We used to train five nights a week. We would have uh, Mondays and Wednesdays are beginners. Tuesdays and Thursdays are advanced, and then which which you see because I I post those. Sometimes I post uh, Tuesday and Thursday. Like t tomorrow night or tonight, we'll uh, we'll go live again at about eight o'clock with some matches. But and then we would do promo class on Friday and film review like we pop in like like one of the things that i really want to do right now is go over that match that Sami Zayn and roman reigns had at elimination chamber because i think it was mm. absolutely magical it's one of the best matches i've seen since taker and Shawn michaels um that's my that is my humble opinion um just magic the, the the fact that they didn't touch each other for four minutes and 45 seconds after the ding 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 it's just and it, and it was good um, but yeah, so okay. thank you. And I, I just we try to cover everything, you know, we try to cover safety, etiquette, um, how to how to present yourself to other employee or other uh promoters, 
you know, how to do things, how to tell a story. Bill? Okay. Um, I had a, I, I had a big question up here from um, one of our viewers, Over Wrestling for Life, Mike, a good friend of mine. He's actually met you. At, he's actually gotten the time to meet you at one point in, in time. He wanted he wanted to know like how did you like doing a lot of your stuff with with uh, Sting and TNA, especially when we had the all famous Joker Sting. So again, I'll reiterate that I am a wrestling fan, right? I wasn't. Yep. So anytime I've gotten to work with these guys, I still pinch myself to this day. Like as we're sitting here talking, like I fucking can't believe that I worked with these guys. <laughs> Um, and I remember when I first broke into the business, I went down and I did a dark match for TNA. TNA was doing their weekly pay-per-views. They were doing a pay-per-view every Wednesday. I think it was an hour or two. Do you guys remember that? It was like five bucks. Yeah. It was like five bucks for, for the, you could order the pay-per-view. Um, and I went down and I remember road dog was there. And he said, you remind me of a young sting because I had the bleach blonde hair and everything. And I would hear that from time to time. Like people would say, oh, you kind of remind me of young sting. And then um, so then when I get to TNA and we're working together, you know, they, they told us, hey, you guys are going to work together. And I remember sting pulling me aside. and He was like, hey, man, I just want you to know that I'm open to doing anything. If you have any cool ideas or, or anything. Um, I'm game, man. I'm fucking game, which is just awesome, right? Like he's Sting, he's a legend. And uh, I said, well, I said, actually, what if I dressed up as you, like when you were a surfer Sting? And he fucking loved it. And the, the really the icing on the cake there was, we ended up, I ended up dressing up like him like three or four t- different times. Mm-hmm. And it was, he brought his old gear. So it was actually Sting's old wrestling gear that I was wearing. Awesome. Which is, by the way, like, he's way bigger than I am. So I was yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and then who better to, to do the face paint? Like, he knew how to do the face paint. So here we are sitting in the back in our locker room, and Sting would paint my face to match whatever gear I was wearing. It's just, you know, and there's that little, again, I wasn't a wrestling fan when I was a kid, but my mind went there, you know, I'm like this kid. I can't believe I'm doing this. That's crazy. So, um, I had, I'm one that likes to ask weird and kind of obnoxious questions at some time. Um, there's rumor, the rumors are about, John Cena and Randy Orton uh, being the reason for your departure of WWE. Um, is there any truth behind that, or is that like typical WWE rumors, complete bullshit? Um, you know, I, to be on to be honest, I don't know for sure, but I will say this: like, no matter what, if say that is true, say it's one hundred percent correct. Um. The way that I conducted myself up to that point, um, they shouldn't have been able to just 
like if they went to Vince and said, "Hey, you need to, you know, fire this guy," um, like had I not acted like a complete asshole and had I not just been punching the clock for the last two years, I don't think Vince would have said, "You know what? I'm sick and tired of hearing this guy in a negative in a negative light." Um, you know, I had I, I had been in the public eye a few times for negative things and uh, even some stuff that happened backstage that was kind of negative. And I think he was just tired of hearing it. And uh, so like, again, I'm, I will not blame Randy Orton or John Cena for, for getting me fired. I blame me for getting fired. Okay. So um, I loved I loved watching you more in Impact with Aces and Eights and all that stuff. Um, one of the greatest factions yes, of all time. Absolutely, one of the great. I mean, Billy, I, he's still in Impact. What was the main difference in working in WWE compared to Impact? Um, at the time, it was it was um, you know obviously the crowd size. I was getting paid good money. The WWE money was stupid at the time, right? Like, so it's a big, big change in pay. I was still getting paid well when I was at TNA. Um, I guess it was just WWE is this finely tuned machine that if it's not working efficiently, Vince will pull a piece out and he'll plug that hole. And it works, and, and it runs more efficiently. And they're constantly, uh, and and I felt like TNA didn't quite have that, you know. Um, we would, I, and I'm not complaining. This just is what it is. Um, we were on a show in Baltimore. We ran at a at a baseball stadium, like a AAA ballpark. The the place probably held like six thousand to eight thousand people. And we drew like 162 people. And that night, Ring of Honor ran across town and they sold out a thousand seat arena. Like it was packed. And there people were pitching, like showing the pictures, showing the differences. And it was just stuff like that that was kind of frustrating. Um, and, and I remember too doing my first appearance. So whenever I would do appearances for WWE, if I would, if I was going to be in person, they would always pick you up in either a limousine or a town car. Somebody would be there with you. You'd have like a handler that would field any questions. They make sure that you would go in the back door because celebrity is an illusion to, to it. I'm just a dude. I'm just another guy. But um, if you present yourself as like, if I walked in through the front door, it just doesn't have the same level of, it doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. So there was always this, like, they did everything big. And I remember, too, uh, if if I would do phoners, so we would do, on a Wednesday, I would call, like, 10 different radio stations in whatever town we were going to. There would always be somebody from the office that would call me and say, are you ready to do this? Yes. Okay, here we go. We're going to talk to so-and-so in such-and-such -such a city. And then they would uh, they would introduce me to the host. Then I would do the interview, and then they would say, "All right, you ready to go to the next one?" And then we would, you know, that's the way it, it was. Very professional. And then I remember, like, the first appearance that I did for TNA was, "Hey, you have a an autograph signing at this uh, 
cell phone store. Um, here's the address and uh, just uh, park and go in the front door. You know, it was like, <laughs> or, or, hey, uh, we want you to do some phoners. Here's the number. Call this, call this number tomorrow morning and, and do the call. So that was just sort of like, wow, there's such a huge difference between these two companies. Yeah. Thank you, but I will say I loved my time in TNA and uh, I loved working for, for Dixie Carter um, and, and the, the locker room was always, always fucking awesome. There was nobody walking on eggshells thinking this was going to be their last day. It was like we were all just there. And even if we were frustrated with like some of that mismanagement stuff, we still went out there and we wanted to give a hundred percent to the, to the few fans that would be there. That's cool. That, 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 that is, that is awesome. Um, look, looking at some other questions here, um, seeing that, uh, I, I will not, I, I, I won't forget. I, one match I know of yours that I've watched time and time again, that, um, for me, I'm, I always get excited whenever I watch it. It was, uh, your match with Jeff Hardy for the the TNA Championship at the time. I just want to say what what was what was it like going like uh, going through that match and uh, just just um, the overall thought of it. You know, to be honest, I I don't remember the match. <laughs> uh, there's oh. like there's so much stuff that I've done in the business that I, <laughs> I, like I remember I wrestled. I remember I wrestled Jeff. I don't remember what we did. Uh, and sometimes I'll watch. Like my wife wasn't a wrestling fan. She never watched when I was on TV. Um, and she wanted to sort of like, hey, I want to see what you did. So we went on Peacock one day and I found out whatever the first date was that I debuted on, on SmackDown. And we started watching SmackDown. And we did like a, I don't know, it was like a full year. And there were times where, like, I don't remember. I, I have no recollection of this match ever occurring. It was just kind of crazy. But I will say that Jeff was definitely one of my favorite people to work with. Um, he was always super, super giving, always innovative. He was always like, what can we do that's a little different? Cool reversals and just, you know, he's always looking at, too. He, he would tell me one of my favorite things that Jeff Hardy – would say to me was you shine when you sell, you know, um, those baby faces want to want the crowd to like, like them. And he would always like, he was so good at getting sympathy from the audience and he would come, come up with ways, interesting ways for me to kick the shit out of him for him to be fighting from underneath. And I just thought that was so cool. And I still, I, I tell my students that all the time, like, sell if you want people to get behind you and have sympathy for you and that's generally that's what we're looking for we want as a as a baby face you want the crowd to to sympathize with you like come on um jeff hardy was one of the best examples of somebody that does that very well all right um i'm gonna pull my next question from the chat um do you did you prefer the uh, WWE style ring or the six sided ring? Like, what's your definitely the WWE the four sided ring? Um, 
it was I the the ropes in the six headed ring are really tight. I like using WWE uses real rope. So I mean the whole thing is that like running the ropes is you're trying to get momentum to either slingshot yourself into your opponent at a higher rate of speed or you're trying to get your opponent to come back at you so that you can hit them. Um, and using that, like that elasticity. So when the ropes are like cables that are, that don't give any, it's just, it, it kind of ruins the illusion for me. I, I like seeing the ropes give and you get that slingshot effect. Um, I will say that the difference, the main difference is like, there's, a lot more room, a lot more real estate to work in, in the six sided ring. WWE always uses a 20 foot ring and TNA and most other companies, not pretty much everybody uses an 18 foot ring. Oh, wow. And, uh, I really, really, it takes a little getting used to, but that 20 foot ring is just like, uh, a lot of times when you're when you're in an 18, you got to figure out like how do we make this look good because we're in a tighter space. You have to like have these different adjustments. Whereas like 20 feet, you have more room to play. So I prefer the 20 sided ring. I prefer the WWE ring. I prefer ropes. Um, and uh, the six sided ring was super stiff. Um, I live in Florida. I, I follow independent wrestling. I'm a huge independent wrestling fan down here. Um, I follow XIW with Adrian Whisper, blah, blah, blah. Is there any independent talent that is coming out of your school, your training academy, that us wrestling fans need to look out for? And if so, can you drop the name um, so we can watch for him and see what goes on with them? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we've we've had some great talent come out of the school. Um, yeah. Darius and Dante Martin are at AEW. Like they came out of our academy. Darius was our first graduate. Um, they've kind of already made it. Um, then we've got there's another local guy named Brandon Gore, uh, Riley Jackson, Levy Cruz, JDX, um, Rampage Rampage Santana, um, uh, the System Drew Cipolla. Like these are all. They get it, and I think, I think they could they could go far. And there's a, a a new tag team that I just trained that just started having matches in the last year. They actually just graduated. I graduated from the academy. Um, Alex Finley, the seasoning Alex Finley, and uh, Prince Devo Knight are like they're really young they're really green but they really get it and they're good people too so i think they're going to go far awesome thank you oh. i'm probably and honestly like i'm probably forgetting a handful of people and to them i apologize but uh that's off the top of my head those names stand out to me right now well, i honestly I, I love watching instagram i put that thing on and i'll we're watching tv i'll just have that up there and you got you do amazing stuff with those young people so i appreciate that Thank you. Actually, I wanted to say um, I was just talking to Vince, my producer on that Twitch Twitch channel. I think you guys know him. Um, he's going to actually he was in the business for several years. Uh, we're going to do things a little differently on Tuesdays. We're going to start next Tuesday where uh, Vince and one of his friends are going to color are going to do color commentary 
throughout the match. That'll be awesome, and then, man. And then lay out, and I'm going to go through the critiques and stuff like that. So, so there will be, like, color commentary throughout the whole process. It won't be just a – Yep. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for that. Yep. Um, I that guess, was that was all Vince's idea. So, wow. Well, okay. So, go, going back to something you said earlier, you um, you 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 mentioned uh the Sami Zayn uh Roman Reigns match at Elimination Chamber. How much you really liked that? Were there have there been any any um, like I guess. Uh, like res- wrestling, like pay- any matches from wrestling pay per views or from any other different promotions that uh recently that um that you really give credit to right now, like um man, I <laughs> that's a tough one. I I don't watch a whole lot of wrestling right now. Honestly, like I, I, I usually only watch if somebody will say to me like, "Hey, this so and so had a fucking phenomenal match. You got to check him out." That's generally when I'll uh, when I'll look. Um, I know, I know, I've seen some in the last couple of years, but I, I just can't put my finger on any of those at this moment. It's all right. So one, my last question before we learn. For the last uh, go around here, what was your absolute like through WWE and TNA? What was your like favorite match that you worked? Like, what was you stand by that as the best match I that I had? Um, I would have to say the match I had with Kurt Angle at Lockdown in two thousand nine or two thousand ten mm-hmm. was. Um, I loved it. I still, every once in a while, um, I'll I'll show that match to somebody. I, you know, it's it's always nice to be able to. I, I generally try to not make it a habit of forcing my students to sit and watch my matches, but at the same time, there's a lot of things. Um, that sort of happened or went on behind the scenes in particular matches that I'm able to like sort of talk about that are kind of interesting. And there was a lot of interesting things that occurred in that match. First of all, just uh, Kurt Angle's storytelling ability is nuts. Um, He's just, he's just an amazing talent. He's a cyborg in that he just goes when, when, when you're in the ring with Kurt Angle, it's like, you have to be at a different level. Um, he's always at a hundred. So yeah, I would say that obviously the money in the bank match at WrestleMania, the one that I won WrestleMania 23 was a cool, cool experience. But other than that, like I've had a, you know, I've been fortunate to have some decent matches and matchups, but it's other experiences too, that, are really special to me going over with uh, WWE and visiting the troops in Iraq in, I think it was 2007 or 2008 that I went. Um, and then uh, some friends and I put together a tour to go back over to the middle East to, we went to different army bases and we didn't wrestle this time, but we went over there and just did meet and greets and stuff like that, stuff like that. visiting our, our wounded troops at Walter Reed army medical center in you know, in Maryland, um, 
doing maker wishes and stuff like that, like that to me is just special. Um, I uh, we we're all creators on TikTok and uh, we do all these podcasts. And I got a couple. I got one question. I'm going to bring in a bunch of people. Um, they've asked this question over and over again. So first of all, um, we as creators, I would say thank you, Mr. Anderson, for being so humble. Um, you're a very humble guy, um, very humble for coming on these sh our shows. Uh, you know, I know you've been on the PWC. I know you've been on um, a lot of other different ones. And with the popularity of the wrestling podcast um, streams, etc., what has it been like having the opportunity to take to talk about your past WWE career in present day? What's that been like? That's a really good question, actually. Um... I think in a lot of ways, it has forced me to examine certain things that happened into my career and like genuinely think about them instead of just offering pat answers. The, the question you asked before about, uh, about John Cena and Randy Orton, the way all that stuff went down, uh, for years I had this giant chip on my shoulder and I blamed other people and I think, you know, as time wears on, you're able to look at things in a different light. As I get older, hopefully wiser. Um, so I think that's been the biggest thing is just getting these different questions and having these conversations and really trying to think. You know, like, like my wife and I, 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 one of the questions I always get is the Eddie question. And like... I told my wife, I'm like, I don't, how do I answer that? Like fucking, and, she, and you know, and we were able to like work through it. Like be honest, just be honest. You know, this is, it sucks, but it's a, it's a great honor to have had his, his last match. Like nobody else. Sorry. You're, no, you're, you're, you're fine. Good, man. It's fine. You're good. Nobody else is able to, to say that. Fuck, I, I don't know why that got me. I appreciate you uh, being so honest. Uh, and yes. Honestly, so honest, man. Yeah. I can just say that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So. Bill, you got anything else, or should we? Uh, I I think I think I've got one more, and okay. I th I feel I feel like this this is a proper one to sort of like almost end this final round. So, I I, I really liked what you really had to say about um, everything you say about the academy and what and everything that you've taught your students and that. What what mm -hmm. what is like one of the what is like the one major um, piece of advice or the that one or like one specific rule that you that you always that you always teach your students what is that one thing <laughs> um we on day one we go through like our list of rules and regulations uh number one is safety um and i would flip-flop these about safety has to be number one it's a dangerous business you're trusting somebody else is tr entrusting you with their lives and vice versa. 
but if I could flip flop these, I would. It's just like, and I think it applies to life in general. Just don't be a dick. You know, like be kind to others. Uh, be be kind to others. Help each other out. Look 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 out for one another. One of the greatest things, my trainer on day one when I first broke into the business, he said, "Remember, the people that you step on on your way to the top are the people that you're going to bump into on your way back down." Because pretty much everything that goes up comes down. And uh, and then and then when I got to when I got to OVW, like I said, I I reported to class on Wednesday, and then Thursday we would go in and. Uh, Jim Cornette would review the TV taping from the night before. So we'd have the VHS tape. He'd pop it in the VCR. They'd wheel out this TV. He'd pop it in and he would just dissect. He would pick apart. Like, you know, he would pause it every 10 seconds or every 15 seconds to say like this, this is why this works or this is how this could have done been done better. And, uh, and he said on that day, and it was something that stuck with me, was if you know of somebody who this company would benefit greatly from, like if you if you know somebody that's talented, that would be a good addition to the roster, and you don't go out of your way to help them, to try to get them noticed. He said, you might as well admit to yourself and the rest of the world that you're the shits and that you're worried that somebody else is going to take your job. Because if you're, if you're confident, if you do everything that you're supposed to do, you're going to be okay. And it's better to have 10 people that are good than one person who's good and nine people who suck. Yeah. Was it time, Matt? Well, I mean, I, we, I've been doing this for six weeks and now I have you here. I feel like kind of a <laughs> asshole <laughs> to even attempt to do it. No pun intended. What I think what he's saying, Mr. Anderson, is it's time for that Anderson off. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean how, how am I, I going to go and how am I going to go beat Mr. Anderson at his own game? That's so, I'm, I'm a little nervous. So I think we need to have that. We need to settle the score here, and I mean I think it'd be polite to let the guest go first, and then Matt can give his rendition of your. Um, All right. So this, the floor is yours, my guy. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I hail from Green Bay, Wisconsin. We have good football in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I weigh in tonight at 235, thereabouts, pounds. Mr. Anderson. Yes. Anderson. There we go. There, there we go. go. There we go. Wait for it. We're wait waiting for it. it. All right, Matt. It's your oh turn. Oh my God! I, I now, now I'm gonna sound like a real asshole. That's okay. Okay. No, go ahead. It's yours, Matt. You got this. Don't Hold critique on. you at the end. Don't worry. No, yeah, no we'll, pressure yeah. now. No pressure now. 
Take a swig for the working man. <laughs> Weighing in tonight at an absolutely freaking astonishing 236 and a half pound. He hails from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, the Packers are all right. They got beat by the Lions, but that's all right. <laughs> he is Mr. Anderson. Wait for it. Anderson. Good job, Matt. That was pretty pretty solid, man. I'm not gonna lie. Well, that's Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. I thank you, Mr. Anderson, for coming on the show. We would like to, if you could hold off for a couple seconds to be in the lobby um, after I end the podcast. Yep. Um, so um, I'm going to play this in honor of you um, to end the show. Matt, thank you for coming on board. Phil, thank you. Again, Mr. Anderson, thank you. Yep. Hey, Mark, I could, yeah, go ahead. If I could quickly, like, if anybody's interested, um, you can you can text me. Uh, if you're interested in wrestling, if you're interested in going to a wrestling school, uh, text me 507-722-2776. That comes right to my phone, my wife's phone. Um, and uh, I, I, I will say that, like, if not everybody can live in the Twin Cities where we're located. Not everybody can just pick up and move. But I, I want to help people out. I want to help people find something that works for them and get them into the business. So I am more than willing to help find a school near you or to give you suggestions on, on how to break into the business if it's something that really interests you. So please, please reach out to me. Thank you, man. Me, me, me in the lobby, guys. Okay.